Welcome to the LaughSpin.com podcast. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of the LaughSpin podcast. I am Dylan Cadino, editor and founder of LaughSpin.com. This is a special episode of the Laugh Spin Podcast. This features my interview with comedian Vince August, veteran comedian. And the interesting thing about Vince, I mean, there's many interesting things about Vince, but the one standout thing that's interesting about Vince is he is uh, a comedian, he's an actor, and he's also an attorney and a municipal judge. Scratch that. He used to be a municipal judge, and that's where the story begins. Vince was basically forced to make a decision by the Supreme Court to either continue being a municipal judge and not do comedy or just do comedy. I won't get into the story because he's going to he's obviously going to tell the story and he does a, a very good job of it. But suffice it to say, this story has blown up. He was a municipal judge of a very small town in New Jersey. And this story, once it once the ruling came down from the, from the Supreme Court, this story blew up. It was an international story. I mean, papers in London were covering it. All the major news outlets in America were covering it. It just went nuts. So Vince finds himself in a very interesting position these days, which is why I wanted to sit down and have a nice long chat with Vince. And that's what you're about to hear. So I'm going to shut up. And uh, here's Vince and me. Vince August. Real real last name? Sicari. Sicari. You're a guinea like me. Yeah, born and raised Hackensack, New Jersey. Parents came over from Palermo, Sicily. I guess 57. My brothers were born here. They have dual citizenship, but I was raised old Italian, old world values. Yeah, can you speak Italian? Yeah, fluently. I, I actually speak the Sicilian dialect, which, which few people know. But um, I, I always felt like I was raised in a weird way, kind of non-American. In my neighborhood was Italian, immigrant, black, or Spanish. Right. Um, and there wasn't that kid that was born and raised American all the way through and through. That like, it's like, where are you from? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we all knew where we, we came from. That's interesting because, I mean, I grew up <laughs> three miles from where you grew up. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I have no... I barely have any connection yeah, and, to, and, my, to my heritage. But it's weird because I'll, it seemed like I grew up in the 70s. Like going from Hackensack to Van Sorn Park was a big deal. <laughs> you know, driving up 17 where the, the divider turned into grass. Right. And was like, you know, a lane wide was like a long trip. And now people, you get around so easy. It's And, and the towns just kind of run into each other. Yeah. But when you grew up, like Hackensack and Paramus were way, way different from each other. Yeah. You know, now it's all a big blur because I guess travel so easy. Yeah. Vince, you, I mean, we're, we're talking to you uh, today for a few reasons. Vince, uh, if you don't know, is he's a veteran comedian. He's been doing it a long time, but he's recently, you've gotten a lot of... Uh, You've gotten a lot of attention, and instead of me kind of uh, giving my version of, of what happened, why don't you walk us through exactly, you're not just a comedian, you have other skills, so yeah. why don't, explain, explain to uh, our, our listeners what your situation has been the last few years, really. Well, the last few years, it, the last six in particular, I've been 
working as an attorney by day as we're sitting in my office. Mm -hmm. um, I was also a municipal court judge and a comedian actor. Right. And that was the last six, but it's been really the last 16 that three of those things kind of grew together. And that was the, the law, the comedy, and the acting. I graduated law school, took the bar exam while waiting for the results. You know, I got a job at Prudential doing in-house work. And I had this bug since I was a kid. I'm like, you know what, let me work on a set, worked on a set, developed it, worked on an hour set, actually. Yeah. I, I didn't realize all you needed was six minutes to get stage time. <laughs> right. And I, I was of the mindset, no, I need like an hour, worked on a long set. And there was a, a, a good friend of mine who worked at the time. I was a shop right on the Hackensack Paramus border, or Maywood Paramus border. Now mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's a Red Robin. Yeah. And uh, I gave him a tape that I made and I was like, listen, do me a favor, listen to this. Tell me if it's shit or if it's good. Right. And, you know, he listened to it one night and then played it on the loudspeakers for all the guys to listen to. And he called me up. He's like, you got to do this. So I went into the city, did a course at Caroline's and the guy who taught it was terrible, but it got me on stage. Right. Performed. It went well. Karen Burgreen was there from Gotham and she's like, you got to do Gotham. I did Gotham and someone's like, you got to come do stand up New York. And it really started to take off. And I got lucky that I started when I did because it was just before all the bringer shows started. Mm. So if you were good enough, you actually could get work in clubs. Right. So and I, so you bypassed the bringer situation? I, I just bypassed uh, it, man. And now, I, that's wow. Great. Yeah, I see bringer comics today and I'm like, man, it really sucks to do what you have to do because if that was the case, I would have struggled because I, 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 one, didn't tell people because part of the dilemma when I became a comic was I knew I had to hide stand up from law. Yeah. Because I was, you know, doing serious stuff. I was doing criminal defense stuff and doing trial work. And you don't want your clients or your boss to think you're not taking what you're doing serious. Right. But just as important was hiding my law from stand up. Yep. Because if club owners, comics find out that you had this day job, they would think you're treating comedy as a, a hobby. Right. And that's really offensive to comedians. Yeah. And really offensive to club owners. So, and for me, it wasn't. Neither one was a hobby. They were both, you know, vocations. They were careers. Right. So I hit it from both and I, I did it really well from 97 until 2007. And then the first time it broke was the Bergen record, a newspaper reporter kind of caught on to the two sides of my life, did a story. The story must have missed a lot of people because judges and a lot of people I know didn't read the story, didn't keep up with it. Eventually, I was approached by the township of South Hackensack mayor. Uh, Rosina Romano and she's like you know we're, we're looking for a new judge I'm going to be the mayor next year and you've got a really good reputation for being honest you know we know you're not affiliated with either party right. so you're the perfect guy for this and I was like I appreciate it but no thanks and she's like what are you crazy I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm trying to nominate you as a judge what right you, right what are you nuts and I was like you really need to watch this video and I gave her a copy of a video and she's like I don't care She's like, we know what you do. And the fact that you're telling us is, again, this is just an enforcing what we know about you. What was the video? You doing stand-up? Yeah, it was a stand-up video. Okay. I, I happened to have it in my bag. Yeah. I thought she was calling me to do a fundraiser. Right. You know, I figured she just wanted to do a fundraiser for the Republican Party. I'm like, listen, if it's a gig, I'll do it. Right, right. You know, but it was to be nominated for judge. And I got nominated. Three Republicans, two Democrats put me in. And next thing I knew, I was a judge. Right. So I gave up criminal practice. And again... Still keeping the, the dual identities. The TV show started 
2000 and I want to say it was around 2008, 2009. Wait, let me, let me back up. Yeah. So once you started, uh, your municipal judge job, you stopped practicing law? No. Okay. So I you still were still, did, still practice law. Okay. So okay. I was lawyer, judge, judge on call 24 hours, two mandatory sessions per month that were on the calendar. Right. But then I would also go in on trials and arraignments. So I would say I spent anywhere between 10 to 15 hours in court for the judge job. Got it. And doing stand up. And at the time, I want to say I was doing about 250 shows a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot. Yeah. All in the city. So all of that was going on at the same time. And then 2008, what started in 2008? 2008 is when a judge job started. And okay. then what would you do, this new TV show right. by ABC comes along and they're auditioning people. And I got an audition to play a racist security guard right. for this hidden camera show. And I hit it out of the park and they're like, you're the guy we want. And then that TV show picked up and that kind of gave this more of a national spotlight. But that really didn't come into the AOC's, you know, their opinion of what I should be, shouldn't be doing until much later. So 2008, we go to judge school. It's part of this kind of thing. One of the canons is that I saw you can't do charity work as a judge. Okay. And that's really what started it. And I went to the AOC, which is the administrative office of the courts. And I'm like, listen, I do stand up and I do charity events. And they're like, well, you can't do that anymore. I'm like, why? And they said, well, because if people donate money to a charity that they feel you're associated with, they're trying to gain favor with the court. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you get it. I'm like, I do charity work as a performer. I don't run the charity. Right. They're like, yeah, but someone may know that you're a judge donate to the charity. I'm like, and just happen to get a ticket or a criminal charge in the town that I'm a judge in. I'm like, I could just recuse myself from that matter. If I even knew that person was donating to the charity. Right. And they're like, no, you don't understand. These are the rules. And I was like, wow. Okay. That seems pretty strict. I'm like, all right, I won't do, you know, any more charity. No more charity. And they were like, well, what else do you do besides that? And I gave them a list of stuff. And they were like, okay, we really need to take a look at this. And that's May 2008. Okay. So I thought the issue was kind of dead with that. Then the Bergen record caught wind of me as a judge. And the same reporter's like, wow, we could really do a follow-up story and story from last year. Oh, so the first story was just about you doing comedy. Long, long comedy. I see. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, at that point you made a decision to come out as both, but you didn't. No, that was just long comedy. Now, the, in see. 2008, the reporter wants to do a follow-up, right. almost like a reality TV version in print, law, judge, comedy, right. acting. And I'm like, let me ask. And again, being totally honest with the AOC, I'm like, you know, can I do this? And they're like, absolutely not. Okay. And they give a letter of opinion at that point. So now we know, okay, this is what I can't do. And they said, you know what? We want to look into this a little bit further because this is really unique, your situation. Right. So I'm like, all right, cool. That's May 2008. I don't hear anything. Rest of 2008, 2009, 2010. All of a sudden, in 2010 into 2011, a new judge gets appointed in North Arlington. And this judge, within, I think, a month of being on the bench releases a movie that was already done and it was a political satire about Obama. I think he sits on the bench maybe twice. The movie goes into the Hoboken Film Festival. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple people find out about it. The presiding judge in Bergen County sits him down 
and says, listen, your production company is called Judicial Productions. This thing was filmed, obviously edited and done before you got appointed. I don't know who helped you become a judge, but it's obvious this was all part of you trying to get publicity for this movie. Mm-hmm. Resign and resign now. Right. And he tucks his tail between his legs, goes away. He's gone. Mysteriously, a letter appears from the AOC dated October 2008 saying, hey, remember that judge in South Hackensack? We asked him to resign. Here's the letter that we sent in October 2008. Whatever happened to him? Wait, they, but did they ask you to resign? No, no, I never saw this letter. So I go in to see my presiding judge and I'm like, judge, I have to tell you, I swear to God, I never saw this letter. I never heard about this hearing. They had a hearing in October 2008. What? Yes. And I wasn't invited to the hearing. And it's funny that we're doing this on a podcast because no one really knows this part of the story. I looked at my presiding judge. I'm like, I, I didn't know about this. I swear to you, I didn't know about it. And he says, calm down, take a deep breath. We didn't know about it either. He said, and if there was a hearing in October 2008 and there was a request for you to resign, we would have known about it as well. What do you want to do? I said, well, I want to file an appeal. They violated my due process rights. They had a hearing without me. I'm like, this is insane. So he goes, all right, all right, be cool. File your, <laughs> file your appeal. Because at this point, I had three years in the game. And I built up a pretty nice record as a judge. Yeah. So I've, I've been doing it. They've seen my record. They see the work I'm doing on the calendar. They see the work I'm doing as a judge. And they're like, listen, we got a pretty good one here. As that's happening, the township of South Hackensack goes from three Republicans, two Democrats, to four Democrats, one Republican. I think the feeling was I was kind of a dead duck at that point. Right. So 2008, I'm fine. 2009, I'm fine. 2010, when all of this is going on, I file my appeal with the Supreme Court. Supreme Court takes the appeal and they say, all right, we're going to have a hearing on this. And the story has very little news coverage. It's just the new, you know the law journal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Supreme Court doesn't schedule it for argument. I think, based on the fact that I'm up that year and the Democrats have taken over, and usually when there's a change in politics, whoever's there is, is out. Right. So the Democrats come to me and they say, listen, what's the story with this case? I'm like, I don't know. It's still going on. I haven't heard a thing. They're like, all right, well, we really like you. We like the job you're doing, and I'm not registered to read the party. I'm not Republican or Democrat, so it's you know to them it doesn't hurt them to keep me. It doesn't help them to keep me. There's no, really nothing there to be gained by either party. They're just going on this based on merit, which is cool because that's how I got the job anyway. Yeah. They're like, listen, we're not going to take any action. When the Supreme Court steps in and makes a decision, we'll follow what their decision is. So we're not going to reappoint you in 2011. We're just going to do nothing, Okay. and we'll wait. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. So 2011 comes along, and I think the AOC finds out, wow, this guy didn't get axed. We have to really move on this. Now they jump all over to what would you do stuff. Okay. And now they're like, all right, it's not just about stand-up anymore. Right. This guy's on TV. He's playing a homophobe. He's playing a racist. You have to see the... Right, which we should... I want to... If people aren't familiar with the show it's not like a punk show this is like it's a social experiment type of show this is it's a serious 
news show. Oh, completely. It's I, you know, people ask me what is it about, and I say it's it's hidden camera, but it's not like hand the camera. Right. It's really emotional awareness. Yeah. I mean, people watch the show and, and burst into tears. And it's still on, right? They still do on. periodically. They I don't know if it's on every week or what, but it, it's seasonal. But it's number one in the time slot yeah. when it's on. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hugely successful. Three million viewers. It's a big show. Yeah. John Canonis is the host. It's all yeah. over Hulu. Um, so it's yeah, it's a big time show. ABC. It's been on own on reruns, HLN. Yeah. So it's, it's out there. Right. Okay. So one more thing before we move forward. In 2008, did they, I assume that they proved that th- this hearing actually did happen. There's no minutes or, of the meeting. There's no minutes of this meeting. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything from this meeting other than this letter. That, that it happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny because without knowing what this meeting was about, the more we asked about it the more this meeting morphed into something else. And eventually it just became a phone poll between the nine members of the AOC. Wow. And I was like, what? so let me get this straight. So you guys basically just took a phone poll of the nine members. I'm like, what was the question? And they said, well, the question was, can this guy do both of these things? And I'm like, but you have no information about me. And I've never put my comedy on the internet I'm super protective of it. I don't want it stolen. Plus, listen, you've interviewed, you know, hundreds of comics. Yeah, yeah. Until you make it, until you get that HBO special, Comedy Central special, whatever it is, you don't want that stuff to go stale. So for me, I kept everything off the internet. I had one of my bits from Vinsanity taken and turned into a sketch on uh, Funny or Die and I went to the comic. He's like, no, nah, man, I never saw it. I'm like, dude, you worked with me how many times? I know you stole it. Just come clean. I'm like, I have video from 2004. You weren't even doing stand-up in 2004. You weren't even doing sketches. Here's my proof. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just keeping everything off the internet, yeah. which is what I did. So they had no footage of me. They had nothing. And a comedy said, no, no clubs tape your set. I know they didn't come see me perform. So what was their basis of doing this? Right. And was it even real? So they go ahead and make that decision. And my superiors like, listen, file your appeal. And I did. So now we're in this lame duck area of 2011. Right. That's when they attacked the TV show. And they file a second complaint against me. So the first complaint is based on the stand up. Mm -hmm. Second complaint is on what would you do? And we file a second appeal. And the Supreme Court takes that. And they're like, all right, we're going to hear argument on this, and and this isn't a go. In the meantime, all of 2011 goes by. And the Democrats in 2012 in South Hackensack, one of the Democrats is gone. Another Democrat comes in. It's still 4-1 Democrats. They sit down with me, and they're like, listen, we really like you here. And we're getting letters from people coming to court about how great the municipal court is in South Hackensack, they've never been to court. The judge is amazing. You know, the judge made him feel comfortable in court. Wow, you guys are running a great court. They're like, we, we want to appoint you again and just make it retro to last year and make this, you know, just put it in stone. So I'm like, all right. So when they went to confirm me, they said, do you want to do it at a public hearing? I'm like, you know what? This thing's got enough attention. Let me just come to the office. And I got sworn in in the back office and I got reappointed. This is 2011. This is 2011. Okay. This gets back to the AOC, and now I think this gets their ire. <laughs> and they're like, no, we, now we really want to go after this guy. Supreme Court is backed up with a, a ton of stuff. They don't hear it. Case gets listed for 2012, 
exactly a, a day, a year to the day tomorrow. It's listed for hearing. What happens? Superstorm Sandy. Okay. No court, no hearing. Case gets put off until February of 2013. Okay. February 2013, we go in to argue this case, and I go up to Miss um, Ringler, who works for the Attorney General's office, who's now prosecuting the case for the Attorney General, for the AOC, against me. And I walk up to her and I put out my hand and I go to shake her hand. I say, listen, I understand you're just doing your job. No hard feelings. And she doesn't shake my hand. And this is, again, first time I'm telling anybody this. I look at her and I go, all right, let's get something straight. I don't know why this is personal for you. I don't have a file in my office or in my garage and storage that has ever been personal. I do a job. I said, and my job is to be a lawyer and a judge. And... The presiding judges in Bergen County and the presiding judge in a municipal court has thought enough of me that they could have removed me at any point in time yeah. without any other reason than we don't like what's going on. We're going to remove you. They've not only kept me in, but have had my back and supported me through this. And now you're not going to shake my hand. I'm like, all right, let's remember one thing. You walk into a courtroom in South Hackensack and are sitting in a seat. I walk in that courtroom with a robe on. You have to stand up until I tell you to sit down. I think I've deserved that respect, earned that respect. Least you could do is shake my hand. But if you don't want to, that's cool. I went, I sat down. The attorney who took care of the case for me, pro bono, because I don't have money to spend on this, was like, you got to relax. He goes, you know, she's just doing her job. I'm like, no, this is, this. we're reaching a point of just, this is bullshit now. I've done nothing wrong to anybody. And what... Uh, what was it? Why did they, you know, why, I, I why did they have a hard on? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand. I, I don't either. The and people working with you liked you yes. enough. I mean, yeah. beyond liked you. And the people. Important people. Right. Yeah. So what, I mean, to this day, do you know why? I mean, why are they, are they trying to set an example? And what kind of example? Like, I, I don't know. And the crazy thing, Dylan, as I'm sitting here looking at you and you're looking at me as confused as can yeah. be, a lot of people <laughs> had that look. And everybody was like, who complained? I'm like, nobody. This was me the whole time saying, here's what I do. Is this a problem? Yeah. So the fact that, and, and the Supreme Court hearing was amazing because all of the judges in Bergen County were watching it in Bergen County. A lot of people I know were watching it live stream. And she went so far over the line and made this so personal and was saying such horrific things about me that the Supreme Court justice was, were looking at her saying, but Miss Ringler, I mean, you're saying this guy plays these horrific characters. You realize he's just acting, right? She's like, yes, but the public doesn't know the difference. And they were like, so you mean to tell me that anybody that plays a bad guy on Broadway or on film, the public thinks that that's really the way that person is? She's like, but it doesn't matter. They're not walking in and seeing that person on the bench before them judging their case to, to have that, you know, relation, revelation of, oh, wait a minute, this guy was a bad guy in a movie. This guy may really be a bad guy. So, so they, you know, and they were looking at saying, but, but listen to what you're saying. Yeah. You mean to tell me someone plays a bad guy in a movie, the public perception is that person's bad. 
And she's saying, not necessarily, but if you run into that person doing a job as a judge and you're in this position of having a, a summons and you're afraid and you walk in and you see that person, you may not come to the realization that this person is just playing a role. Wow. I'm like, this, this, this argument makes no sense at all. That's I'm like, a, I'm not following this. That's a stretch. Yeah. So, and they were really, they were really trying to come after me for the, what would you do? And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking as an attorney, if I was prosecuting on me on this specific case, I would leave the, what would you do alone? Because that's really a losing argument, in my opinion, because if I was in Pirates of the Caribbean, would you think I was a pirate? <laughs> you know, I mean, we could go on and on. You right. know, if I played, a, you know, a Nazi soldier in a World, World War II movie, would you think I was a Nazi? Right. You would you would prosecute based on the fact that you're a stand up because Absolutely. there's less there's less division between, you know, person on stage and person off stage. You see, now you're nailing it. It's so much more vague. There it is. And, and that would be my attack, which is, listen. Who writes his material? He does. Right. So the stuff he's saying on stage is coming from him. Yep. The public can't tell what's coming from him. Is that humor? Is it real? Whatever. Now, again, having dealt with comedians, you know the comic mind and the way it works. And yeah. you've, you've been around this. You get it. Is it really who we are up there? No, of course not. Is there a... a tinge of reality and truth and what we're saying up there. of course sure. yeah we believe what we're saying up there yeah but we're doing it in a way to make fun of it right so you know is the stuff i'm saying there uh, uh, one of my truths absolutely and but just well, i'm making fun of it everybody relax right you know the, listen to me the, the person who says the n-word isn't the racist it's the person who believes those people are that right okay that's the racist you know, the, the people that aren't saying it out in public are the people I would be more worried about. You know, if you're if someone's on stage saying their truths and their beliefs, that person doesn't worry me because now I know what that person is. Right. It's the people that hide it. Yeah. Those are the people that scare the <laughs> hell out of me. So it was probably too much work for them to actually go to see your stand up because like you said, it wasn't on the Internet. And it was a lot easier for them to be like, oh, here's this clip on Hulu or whatever, and there's our proof. It would take a lot more legwork for them to go to Caroline's. Well, you just asked yeah. the question that Justice Albin asked. Oh, really? Yeah, so you just became Supreme Court Justice <laughs> Albin. Because Justice Albin then asks, well, what is he saying on stage? And the answer was, well, we don't know. We don't have any footage. So he how did they win this case, Vince? <laughs> well, what, here's, what, what are we missing here? Well, here, here it comes. They sound like the bad news bears of uh, Where, prosecutors. Where's where's the comedy? We don't have it. What do you mean you don't have it? You've been prosecuting this case for the better part of four years. Yeah. Where's his stand up? He took everything down. So I almost jumped out of my seat. I hit my lawyer and he goes, no, 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 no. It was never up. Right. There never was stand up up on, you know, we have one or two things up there that we don't control that we don't own. There was a Friars Club roast and something on this this TV interview show I did. And there were little clips there. Other than that, nothing's ever been because up. that's a no, no. Right. That's like destroying evidence or destroying right. whatever. Exactly. So and, and then she admitted she goes, well, that's that's true. We can't say what's been up and what hasn't been up. So we don't know about any of that. But, you know, th this is all we have. So they said, well, has anybody seen him in a comedy club with the AOC? Well, no. And they said, <laughs> so do you have any evidence of what he actually says on stage? Well, no, we don't. Okay. All right, fine. Let's go with the what would you do. 
do you have the transcript of one of these TV shows? Well, no, we don't. They couldn't even transcribe it? They don't have anything. So they look and once again say, he hasn't given us anything. I'm like, I don't own ABC. It's not my show. So I look at my attorney and my attorney's like, listen, we don't, you know, we don't control what would you do? He's an actor on the show. So my attorney looks at me and says, are you willing to give them whatever? I'm like, I'll I'll give it to them. It's out there. What am I going to hide? What would you do? It's your job to give a transcription of your performance we the the case ends abruptly after about 45 minutes of oral argument and we agree to give them every video i can get from abc of what would you do we agree to give them comedy footage of me on stage so i go i call abc and i say listen we can send you a subpoena from the supreme court of new jersey or you could just help me out they're like vin whatever you need you've been great for the show abc gives me 32 episodes of what would you do that i've been on and I pick three different sets between 2008, when I was appointed, right, and 2013. I give him my Letterman set that I sent in on an audition because that's really, this is who I am. Right. And that was the intent of giving them the Letterman set. If I had to send something out to somebody to get a job, here's what I would send. Right. We sent them the Friars Club roast, which was out there. And then I just picked a random night where I did a lot of improvisational stuff. So we picked those three videos. And again, this is all, I haven't had this discussion with anybody yet. Those are the three videos we pick. We send them in and they go, we need seven copies of each because there's seven justices. I'm like, wow, man, I got to hand you the rope to hang me. I don't, yeah, this is, I'm sorry I keep stopping you because this is very interesting to me. (laughs) So the way our justice system works is the prosecution (laughs) asks the person they're prosecuting to gather up evidence against themselves. Never. It's happening in this case. And I'm more than willing to give it because I've been honest from Can't go. They, couldn't they have gone to ABC News and said... And I'm saying... And, yeah. And I'm saying, I will make your life easy for you. Here it is. So I give them the videos. <laughs> I give them everything. We hand in the videos. Um, my, my attorney, for whatever reason, seemed to make a big deal of one video... Uh, this Vinsanity video I did back in 2004. Mm-hmm. I did a stand-up special on my own videotape. There was about an hour and 20 minutes of me on stage, and I did a little, you know, sketch. Do you remember the old HBO special? Someone would do like a yep. little, yeah, okay. Yep. And I w- always wanted to do that, so I did that, put it into a comedy festival at one best feature comedy, stole the festival, and he made a big deal out of this for whatever reason. I don't know. But it was done in 2003. It was taped 2004. It went out and went to the festival. And he said, you know, this was my calling card. And it really wasn't. And if you ask me, well, why did you make that video back then? I did it for two reasons. One, I wanted to time capsule my material to protect it. Because mm-hmm. up until that point, that's seven, min- that's seven years of comedy work. Right. I had this hour and a half set that I really wanted to put, you know, my print on. This way, no one can ever question where I was getting my stuff. Is it stolen? Is it this? Am I hacking? You know, because a lot of that's going on. I'm like, I want to put this fingerprint and this way. No one could ever question where my stuff came from. Sure, sure. Did that, threw it in a festival, made a CD out of it. And now XM Sirius is just coming along. They have these comedy channels. Let me throw this stuff out there. People can start to know my name. That was the basis of that. That that's this signature piece in my career or it's the thing that launched me? Absolutely not. It's just my imprint on the comedy world. Okay. Supreme Court 
we sent them 32 videos. What would you do? An hour's worth of stand up. We get a letter. I want to say it's about a month after the hearing, six weeks after the hearing. We want the Vinsanity video. I say to my attorney, absolutely not. I'm not giving him that. And he says, what do you mean we're not giving him that? We've had complete candor up until this time. Why are you not giving them? And this is all attorney-client privilege again. I've never discussed this with anybody. So this is all for you, Dylan. <laughs> and I said, I'm not giving it to him. And he said, why? I said, first of all, to be quite honest with you, I don't even know where the master video is. Right. I said, I'm being straight with you. I don't even know where it is that I can you know, tear apart my house, my parents' basement and find a copy. Yeah, I probably could. It would take me literally a week to, you know, stop and search my house for this because, again, it's a master copy in a vault with comedy stuff and tapes and audio tapes right. dating back to 97. That You know, that material's old. I don't use it anymore. Or it's so far advanced from then, I wouldn't use it. I said, but more importantly, and to me most importantly, it's 2004. Right. It's got nothing to do with 2008 when I was appointed judge. Well, the Supreme Court goes ballistic on this. The attorney general's office goes ballistic on this. They're like, no, we want that video. And at that point, it became a, a thing for me of I'm not even going to look for it now because it has nothing to do with the case in front of us. It's not anything relevant to 2008 till now. Because at that point in my mind, now this is becoming a little witch hunting because, well, then we can go back to 2001 if we're not satisfied with what we see in 2004. Right. We can go back to 97, my first set ever at Caroline's. Right. You know what? Let's go back to something you said in college. Right. You know, and to me it was, no. The relevant period of time is 2008 to 2013. And if you wanted to get the, the, the lawyer out of me and really raise a law, you know, attorneys don't have to keep files for more than seven years. Right. You don't have to keep videos and audio stuff, I think, for more than three years. So we're starting to lose that statute of limitations thing here. On a 2004 video, I wouldn't have had to have it more than longer than 2011. So the statute of limitations on, on a legal argument, I don't have to give it to you. Right. I've given you enough rope to hang me. Yeah. Let's not, you know, go nuts on this. Did, um, did you eventually hand it over? Or Absolutely no? not. So do you no think way. that is when, do you think you had a chance to win? No. Before? <laughs> no. I was dead in the water. That was it. Had you given this to them, do you think you would have had a chance to win? Absolutely not. No. This, this, this for me was, you know what? I, I've done everything right. I've been way honest. I've been really above board. Now you guys are, are looking to try to nail me on one specific thing. And now, now I'm getting annoyed. Right Now this is starting to annoy me. And this was the first time I was getting upset. And I'm going to tell you again something that no one knows. February 26th, I go into Supreme Court. February 27th, AP runs wild with the story. I leave the Supreme Court. AP was at Caroline's on Monday. Cases argued on Tuesday. Tuesday night, I go to the Daily Show. I go to warm up the Daily Show. Mm -hmm. There's a reporter there from CBS. There's a reporter there from the London Times. I'm like, listen, I can't talk to any of you. I, I, I have to keep this between us. I can't do this. Um, I'm still a judge. I can't interview anybody. This is between me and my attorney. You want to talk to my attorney, talk to my attorney. Can't do this. I'm still going to honor this position. Things really got haywire. I'm on the Yahoo homepage. I call up my presiding judge, 
the next morning and say, listen, you've had my back for the better part of three years now. And this thing's gone a little nuts. I, I want to do the right thing. If this is too much heat for you because of what you've done for me, I'll resign now. Right. I don't need this. And my presiding judge said to me, you see the phone call you just made to me? That's the guy that I've been backing for the last three years. And I'm not going to stop backing you because that's the guy I want as a municipal court judge in our district, in any court, anywhere in this state. That's why you're a judge. He said, and I'm calling your judge on the phone. You keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, all right, I'm cool. And I, I was above board, kept everything above board. The insanity thing was there. And I could have resigned. I was ready to resign yeah. that next day. I didn't need the publicity. I never did this for publicity. I'll take you back to 2010 before this thing even goes crazy. Before that judge releases that movie, I was approached by a pretty big production company. I was approached by one of the top five agencies, theatrical television right, film right. agencies in the country through an intermediary who's a big name in this business. I can't throw any of these people under the bus because okay. I'm still dealing with them. And I was approached about doing a judge show and I turned it down. I didn't sign the offer sheet. I didn't sign the management agreement. I didn't sign any of it. And they said, what are you doing? I said, you don't understand. I'm going to make it in this business based on the fact that I can act. Right. And I'm really good at it. And I'm really good at stand up. I never wanted to use this vehicle to get me to the next level. Yeah. So you know what? No, I don't need it. I could have signed the judge deal in 2010. Now, would the show have ever happened? I don't know. I never did any of this for that reason. And even in February 27, 2013, I was ready to resign. I wasn't looking for any of this publicity. I didn't do a single interview. People said, you're crazy. You should ride this wave right now. I'm like, no, I want to win this case because this is wrong. Yeah. This is wrong. And I'm really good at this judge job and I'm making a difference. This is wrong. Then the, the more I sat, the more I thought about it, the more I went back and forth, the more I looked at the judges on that panel, I'm like, man, I'm going to lose this case. I'm going to lose this case and I'm going to lose it 5-2, 4-3, but I'm going to lose this case. And when they asked for the insanity, I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to give it to you. You know what? I know I'm going to lose, but I, now I'm going to lose with a little bit of fight in me. Right. So that was part of the reason why. And the more I kept looking at these judges, the more I kept reading about their background, I'm like, man, I'm going to lose. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I, and then I started to look back on 2010, got offered that judge show, you know, February, all these people wanted to interview me. And I'm like, you know what? You did it right. You yeah. did it right. Stick to your guns. Keep doing your job. And I kept doing my job. And then uh, I would check the website every day. Supreme Court website, <laughs> literally every day, Dylan, first thing in the morning, man, I'd wake up. I would, first thing I would do is log into that website from February 26th all the way until uh, September. And I would look and then the one day we saw it was coming and I was like, oh man, here it comes. You know, it's coming tomorrow. And I called my attorney and we were supposed to get an advanced copy. We did not. We did not get an advanced version of the decision. And when it hit that morning, I read it at 10 o'clock, 10.01, AP was on the phone. Yeah. And the thing just, it blew up. 
Yeah, I mean, if uh, if people listening, this thing really did. Uh, I know we 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 were talking a lot of local stuff here that people might not know what the hell we're talking about. Vance on Park and Paramus and Hackensack, but I mean, this thing this thing blew up. I was driving. I was list- I listened to the POTUS channel on Sirius XM, and they have breaks, um, you know, AP news breaks, and like they only pick like three or four stories. And they like led with your story. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like this is in a little, I mean, my grandparents grew up and I mean, grew up, they lived in South Hackensack. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, it was just hilarious to me that, you know, this, this, I mean, less than mile square town. Yeah. And it has it blown up international. Yeah. International story. I mean, it, it really went wild when I read the decision there was a couple things about the decision that really bothered me. And I've said all the right things. No one's really asked me what those things are that bothered me about it. Uh, the one thing was the Vinsanity. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an inference by the court that I was hiding this and that I was being deceitful and I was covering something up and embarrassed by something. And that's not the case at all. The case was, I think it was an inappropriate request. Right. There's no way to convince people of that, though. No. No, you're not going to... The minute you you're yeah. asked for something and you say no... Right. That, you know... Right, you're hiding something. That's it. Yeah. And to me, it was, it was an inappropriate request. I don't think it was relevant to 2008 to 2013. And again, to me, seven-year rule, 2004 plus seven is 2011. It's not fair game. Right, but I don't understand... Like, isn't that since it's not fair game? Like, why are they still allowed to ask for it? I, again, my, my attorney seemed to make a bigger deal of it than it was, and they they wanted they needed a hook to hang something on, so they wanted that, and I don't know why they made a big deal out of it, but that bothered me. The other thing that bothered me was seven nothing. That really made me sit back and say, "Wow." These seven people, no one, and these are seven very smart people. Yeah. These, you don't get to that position. And, and listen, I know people would look at our Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., and I've, I've been sworn into the Supreme Court in Washington. I've had the opportunity to meet those, those nine justices. And oddly enough, I, I warmed up the Daily Show uh, when Sandra Day O'Connor was a guest. Obviously, she's long since retired Supreme Court justice. Yeah. But I warmed up Colbert's show yeah. the day that Justice... Sonia Sotomayor was a guest Ah. as irony would have it here. I'm being told I can't do the job as a comedian because it's somehow not becoming, but yet I can warm up a show that a Supreme court justice is going to come on and be a guest on a comedy show. Right? Yeah. Talk about irony. Um, Yeah. So the seven, nothing thing disturbed me because these are seven very, very intelligent people. And I thought two or three of them would look at this and say, this doesn't make sense. Because here's the decision in in the end. All of these things that you did call us to question the appearance of you as a judge. If someone sees you in a comedy club saying those things, cursing, acting that way, that's not the standard we're held to as a judge. Right. Okay, so that's not what you would expect to see a judge act like in public. Okay, well, comedy's not exactly public. I'm doing a job. I'm getting paid to do a job. But yeah, but that, that, doesn't, that falls short of our standard. Right. The TV show, and this is exactly what the decision says. If someone's watching the TV show and you watch the whole episode, yes, you would come to the conclusion 
that the person that you're portraying is an actor. However, what if someone shuts the TV show off? Because to be quite honest, having watched all of these episodes, your acting is so good, so convincing. And we were sitting there mortified at some of the scenarios. It's plausible that someone in the public would watch this, be horrified, shut it off, not watch the rest of the show and not know that you were an actor, they would think it's some type of reality situation. Now, here's the other end of that, Dylan. That person would also happen to be arrested or charged with a summons in the Township of South Hackensack Municipal Court and appear before me. That's a stretch. Yeah. That's a stretch. They made that stretch. And I was like, wow, that's that's two really big stretches there no one is going to sit here and look at this and say all of this but fine i understand your stand-up thing i understand this opinion but here's where they go to a line that i don't get you're not meeting the standard that we're held to it's possible someone's not going to watch the whole show and they're going to think that's who you really are right this stuff doesn't make you suitable for the bench you understand that yes but if you agree to stop doing it today and we draw a line in the sand you're good. Continue being a judge. Despite the fact that those things are already out there and still viewable. There it is, man. See, and the way you're shaking your head and the way you're looking at me right now, no one out there can see this. You have the same look that a lot of people have given me is this doesn't make sense. This is just logically inconsistent. This is telling Paula Dean, listen, are you a racist? Yeah. Were you saying the N word? Oh, I used to say it all the time. Okay. If you stop saying the N-word today, <laughs> we're going to give you a clean slate on racism moving forward. You keep your cooking shows. Right. What? Now, I don't come anywhere near to what she did. I'm not saying she's a racist or not. I'm just saying, using right. her as an example. I don't know what she did or didn't do. To me, I was like, wow, that doesn't make sense. So we have 7 nothing. We have the insanity issue. The decision was issued. Here's the other thing that really got me. It's a per curiam decision for the people out there that don't know what that is. Normally when the Supreme Court or any court issues a decision, a justice will sign their name to it. Other justices will either concur or dissent if they disagree. Well, we had no one dissent here. No one signs their name to this decision. So what would happen in the Supreme Court, like you'll see Justice Scalia will say, here's my decision and he'll write. Now, Justice Roberts may agree with Justice Scalia, but want a separate opinion as to, well, here's what I think. I agree with Justice Scalia's decision, but here's my basis, which is inconsistent with Justice Scalia's rationale, but we reached the same conclusion. Okay. So normally that's the way Supreme Court justices reach decisions. And then you have the dissenters that say, no, I disagree. I'm the other side of the fence. All right. And they submit something as well in, right. in writing. Right. Okay. So these are seven people that came up with the same exact conclusion. I see. 100% to the point where, well, none of us have to sign our name to it. We're all saying the same thing. So you know what? This is procuring basically means this is the court speaking. Right. So I don't know who really wrote the opinion that everyone agreed with. So basically, it's like the seven, seven of them sat in a room, had the same exact opinion and said to the law clerk, here's our opinion. We all agree word for word with each other. Put it out. Right. How common is it? How common is that situation where nobody submits either a document disagreeing or nobody submits a document agreeing, but for different reasons. On a 
on a case where you're making a ruling on something as unique as this, yeah, it's rare. Because the whole point is we have this unique circumstance. Here's what we're saying. I mean, don't you want to sign your name to that as a, as a justice? I mean, when you look at what we've done with DOMA this year, yeah. what we've done with, with DNA and, and being able to take a DNA swab for something, this is Supreme Court of, of our country, which came out the same day as DOMA, that you could take a DNA swab of someone and they don't have to be charged with a crime yet. But you know what? We're going to take this DNA swab and run you through our computer and make sure you haven't committed murders along the way. We don't know that you did this one. Right. <laughs> we, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we're going to do this anyway. Right. That's a law in this country, by the way. You want to sign your name to that because it's, that's a big change. When we submitted our papers, we searched internationally for judges that were comedians and actors. We couldn't find anybody. Right. We found the judge that plays bass in a band right. you know, once or twice a year. We found the judge that performed in a small community theater once. Nothing to this level. And people are like, what about Judge Judy? No. In order to be a judge on TV, you have to resign from being a real judge. And now you're just a TV judge. Right. So this situation didn't exist anywhere. Right. So if it was so important, you'd want your, your name on there. There you go. No name. That's just, you know, the court has spoken. And I was like, wow, I would hope somebody would put their name to it. Not that it makes a difference in the end. It's seven nothing. But I, I was, you know, don't attack me and say that I hid the Vinsanity video and not tell me who said that. Yeah. So where, what's your situation now? What is, well, you've, you've, you've quit the... I resigned within an hour. Um, as soon as I got the decision, at, at 10 o'clock I got the decision, my phone exploded yeah. Um, AP called, CBS called, NBC called, every possible TV outlet, radio outlet called, with the exception of one, ABC. Okay. Which is ironic yeah. as hell. Now, why is ABC not calling? You're shaking your head laughing. I'm sure ABC, I'm sure their lawyers called up and said, we have to look at this because this guy got fired for what he did on on what would you do? Yeah. I was never fired. I was given a choice. Right. I resigned. And I resigned willingly. They didn't say to me, you have to quit because of what you did on what would you do? They said, choose. Right. The funny thing is, as much as the public was outraged, lawyers and judges and people that read the opinion from a legal standpoint called me and congratulated me. Because technically, we won. And I know that seems... Yeah, how so? Right. Seven nothing, you lost. Yeah. No, we won. <laughs> because it was... The attack was, you have to resign. You're this despicable human being who says all these offensive things. This isn't what a judge should be. Resign. Supreme Court says, he said all of those things. He did all of those things. But no, we're good. We're good if he stops doing them today. Right. And that's a win. That's a win because that says, you know what? No, we don't think he's what you say... He he is we think he just did those things as an entertainer we think they were inconsistent moving forward but if he wants to keep his job he's good he wins so from a legal analysis lawyers and judges looked at this and went good for you you won <laughs> and you know from me i'm like no I, I have to resign right i'm being chose to choose between two things one that is just you know something i would never give up and, and you know, for comics, performing is, yeah. it's our life. 
you take that away from us, I'll put a bullet through my head. Mm. I'm done. I don't need to live this world anymore. So there's no choice there. But I like doing that job. And I was good at it. I was really good at it. That I had my superiors back me up for four years. I was really good. And the first thing I did when I, you know, I already made the decision when the opinion came out, I called my presiding judge and I said, listen, I, I don't want to, I'm not faxing you a letter. I said, you've been amazing to me as a friend, a mentor, everything else. I, I want to come in and talk to you. And he said, there's cameras everywhere here. Oh God. So I went, all right, is there any way I can sneak in the courthouse, maybe through the jail entrance or whatever? I said, I, I want to do this in person. I held off reporters, again, could have rode this wave, held off reporters for three hours, met him at the courthouse, because I wanted to do it in person, because yeah. that's, that's, that's who I am. We had a conversation, I put out my hand to shake his hand, he came around the desk and gave me a hug. No. And he said, it's, this is killing me. And he, he got choked up. He said, we're losing one of our best. And the presiding judge over him said the same thing, wrote me an unbelievable letter. And then from that point on, it became fair game. And they were like, you can talk to whoever you want. Right. And man, it blew up. I mean, Inside Edition hasn't aired yet, but you know, Fox, um, New York, local New York, um, CBC, Canada. Yeah. I've been getting tweets from people from Canada, England, Australia, dude from Prague was like is this really happening in america is this like a new tv show and i'm like no this is really happening dude he's like what happened to america i'm like well here we tend to cater to the the five percent people that don't get acting is not who you are yep being on stage that persona does not characterize what you would be able to do in a municipal court so we have to protect that five percent which is what we do here yeah 95 percent. sorry you have to suffer we got to wait for the 5%. Well, that's exactly what's happening now in Washington. Uh, that's it. <laughs> this mean, is our country in a nutshell. It's, it's it's absurd. Yeah. This is our country in a nutshell. Yeah. So, you know, I've gone on you know, the circuit. I've talked to everybody. Um, I did Q104.3, Shelly Sonstein. I'm going to talk to Artie Lang later this week. And, and the phone keeps ringing, which is amazing to me. The timing from, you know, what does this do for your career aspect? Yeah. Couldn't have been better. Because the LA Times reporter calls me up on, it was Friday, uh, the Friday before the Emmys. And she interviews me over the phone yeah. and does a piece that I have no idea when it's going in the LA Times. And if you ever go to LA, it is like two papers, yeah. LA Times <laughs> and then like Vanity Fair or whatever it is, you know, um, that's it. That's all there is in LA. It's not like here at the Daily News, the Post, the Times, you know, the Journal. It's in the LA Times on the Saturday, the day before the Emmys. And there's a picture in there. Everybody who's anybody is in LA. Right. And they're in their hotel's room. And what's getting delivered to their hotel rooms, the LA Times. Ne the next week, my phone blows up with offers. Uh, people calling, what can we do? What can, you know, what kind of show? What can we put together? I'm lucky enough to already have had a, a, a pretty good agent in California working on some things with me anyway. Right. So we, we already were working on something else. And that just started moving a little bit quicker because of all of this. Sure. Because, you know, he said to the other parties that are, were involved, listen, this guy's getting a lot of phone calls. If we're going to make this happen, we need to make it happen now. Otherwise, we have to explore some options. Some things are definitely in the mix. They were in the mix before the decision came out anyway. Yeah. I mean, th you know, deals with television take months and months and months to develop anyway. 
So this, this was stuff going on before all of this nonsense with the Supreme Court broke free. But this has certainly sped things up. Yeah, it's, it, it hasn't hurt. I mean, someone interviewed me and said, we did a search, an internet search of your name to see what kind of traffic it's generated. And since I think the decision came out till today, my name has generated 2 million hits. Yeah. You can't pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't pay for that. You know, I, I can't afford that. You know, so it, did it help? Didn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Didn't hurt. Does it suck not being a judge anymore? Yeah, really does. I was good at that job. I was helping people. Yeah. I'm pissed off. I, I wanted to keep that job. Yeah, I. you can tell. You can tell that you, is that your judge's robe right there? Yeah, it's funny. That's it. Um, and people said to me, you know, so you hung up your robe. I'm like, no, I went to go get it. I bought it. I'm like, that, that robe that you're looking at right now is $450. Um, and when I went and, and got it, you know, and I went to pay for it. The guy goes, $450. I said, $450? He goes, yeah. I said, for a robe? He goes, it's a judge's robe. I'm like, what is it made of, old judges? I'm like, what the hell's $450? So when I resigned, I went to go get my robe. I'm like, I want that. That's a half a paycheck for me. What? That's a $450. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I had no idea. I would have I found. And it's underneath it is my old graduation robe that I had as a backup in case I had to do a wedding or something. I'm like, I would have just used that. <laughs> oh my God. But my goal is hopefully someday that'll hang in a, in a, a hard rock or a planet Hollywood somewhere. <laughs> I'll get to autograph it and let it hang. You should wear it on stage now. You There's know, nothing stopping you from doing that now. It, it's funny you say that because <laughs> one of the things that came up, I'm, I'm headlining Caroline's November 2nd and I'm doing 730, 10 Saturday night. It's a big deal. Yeah. And... The club asked, should, should we call, put your name on the poster, Judge Vinny or Judge Vince August? And I said, no. I said, I'm not, I'm not a judge. They go, yeah, but everybody knows you as the judge. Mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, you want to put Vince August and you want to put in quotes underneath the judge, I'm fine with that. But to put Judge Vinny or Judge Vince August, I said, no. I said, listen, I, I have tremendous amount of respect for the job I yeah. did. I, I don't want to demean it. I don't, I don't want to make fun of it. I don't want to make light of it. That was six years of work. I mean, the day before the decision came out, I was in this office at two o'clock in the morning with members of a narcotics task force doing a search warrant. It, it was a serious job. Yeah. It's, it's not a joke. And, and neither is my law practice because people say, now you could do lawyer jokes on stage. No. No, I got to pay bills, man. I got to keep this roof over my head. I struggle. Yeah. I live check to check. And that's the other thing that bothers me. You know, I... I Made the mistake the one day of going on a message board that had a story and I got like two comments down and, and you know, some idiot with a fake screen name in the safety of the basement of his house, yeah. probably in the middle of the country with no friends, put up, well, he's a scumbag lawyer who's probably making a ton of money and he doesn't need any of these jobs anyway. You know, dude, you don't know me. Yeah. Don't pass that judgment on me because you don't know what I've done because during all this time, that I was a lawyer working as a comedian, I turned down three partnerships in firms that I could have made six figures. Yeah. But part of that partnership was, well, you can't run them back and forth to the city as much. Yep. And I'm like, no, I, I, I need that autonomy. Yeah. So I worked as a solo and I'll, I'll say it. I never reached six figures. Yeah. 
Okay. Worked as a solo. When I go to city, you know how much we make. I don't need to tell you. Yeah. Let's tell the audience. You're not doing it for the money. No. No. If you're at Caroline's on a Monday night, pro comic, you're getting $25. Yeah. Do the math, people. $13 to go from Jersey to New York City to cross the bridge. Park, if and I get street parking. Park in the street, walk five blocks when it's raining, get a meter spot, pay $6, gas, you're lucky if you're coming home with five bucks. Yeah. Lucky. So that's, and that's month. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you're lucky enough to work comic, comedy clubs over the weekend, 75, right. 85 bucks. Right. What are you getting? Not a whole lot. Now I stayed in the city because I had a day job to pay for the bills. I was auditioning for films, commercials, which I was getting. I'm getting the what would you do stuff. So for me to do the road, didn't make sense because ultimately what do road comics want to do anyway? Get on TV. Right. Well, I'm getting on TV. I have the What Would You Do show, you know, and, and I'm working now. I'm doing the Jon Stewart thing. I'm making enough money to keep me in the game and keep me in the game well. That to, for me, the road didn't pay. But in the meantime, I'm working here out of my office. Yeah. There's no secretary desk in here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couch. There's a desk up there. I'm the secretary. I'm the janitor. I'm the accountant. There's a 45-year-old word processor. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, I struggle. I live check to check. So when people tell me, well, look, dude, you're a lawyer. You're, no, 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 no. Let's take a step back. Well, that $13,000 a year judge job, you know, big deal. No, that's $1,000 a month I got to make up. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, if you're making six figures, $1,000 a month isn't a lot. When you're not, you're taking away a quarter, a third of my income. I got to make up that money now. Yeah. That is a big deal for me. Sure. So you know, thank, God, thank God I only scrolled down that one day. And, I, and normally I yeah. never do you that. You can't. No, The temptation is too much though sometimes. And all of those comments degenerate to the same thing. Somehow it winds up on Obama and racism every time. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the topic is. It could be A-Rod steroids. Next thing you know, someone says, Spick, Obama, racist, you hate black people. I'm like, what? That's it. <laughs> It devolves like, very quickly. What the hell happened here? So it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's been a crazy run. God. Yeah. How about it? Yeah, so now it's just, you know, and people say, so what's the difference now? I'm just not a judge. You're just not a judge and you're, well, I mean, you're, you're freer now to, you yeah. know, to explore some of those options that. Absolutely. That you've been, you know, you've yeah. been approached with. And listen, if someone came and the phone has rang yeah. for a potential judge show. And I said to my agent, I'm like, listen, I was stubborn in 2010 before I knew this agent with a deal that who knows what could have happened. Who knows? Now at this point, let, let's just get me in that bubble. Yeah. That's the entertainment bubble. And for anyone listening that doesn't know the entertainment bubble, you're, you're shaking your head. I went on a pitch meeting with a major, major network and we sat in this meeting and they, the, the person that brought me there was with this production company, Mission Control Media, which does Hollywood Game Night. They do face off on the sci-fi. It's a big company. Mm -hmm. And we sat in on a meeting and these people brought me out there for a specific show that they were pitching. And the person in charge, this is the president of programming, a major network, looks at me and says, well, what do you want? Because I guess they didn't, weren't crazy about the pitch, but they seemed to like me. Right. And she looked at me, she goes, we like you a lot. We have a question for you. We don't know if this vehicle is right for you. What do you see yourself doing? Like, what do you want? 
And I knew where the question was coming from. And I wasn't about to throw Mission Control Media under a bus after they just flew me to California for these pitch meetings. Right. And I looked at this woman. I said, listen, this is the way I view the entertainment industry. It's a really big bubble. It's a sphere. And all of you people in here are on the inside of the sphere with your hands up against the sphere, trying to keep anyone trying to get in out. So you're a bunch of goalies protecting this sphere. Mm -hmm. And then the second someone slips into the sphere and happens to get through you, you look and you go, hey, welcome to the bubble. Do what we're doing. And, you, and that person now starts to keep people out of this sphere. <laughs> right. I said, right now, you're all on the inside of the bubble. I'm on the outside of the bubble. Mission Control Media is looking at me going, hey, listen, there's an opening in the bubble. Slip through, slip through, slip through, you know. Right. Or maybe even trying to stick their hand through the bubble to pull me through, if it's even possible. I don't even know if that's possible yeah, in the yeah, entertainment yeah. industry. So for me to tell you what I want is, would be insane because I don't know how to get into this sphere. If I did... I would have figured out the formula a long time ago. I'd be in the bubble with you. Right. So you've got a board with all different size holes. Some are round, some are triangle, some are hexagonal, you know, whatever. And there's pegs out there. If I tell you I've got the round peg, here's the round peg. Here's what I want. Here's my show. And it's a round peg. Mm -hmm. And you've got a board with triangles and squares. Well, guess what? I just blocked myself out of your board. You know what? What kind of peg do you want me to be? Right. I'll fit into that board. So rather than me tell you what I want, no. What do you see me doing? Right. Trust me, I could do it. And I'll do it with the people in this room. Well, we got up, we walked out of that meeting, and the agent who works for a big agency, United Talent Artist, we get on the elevator. He says, don't say anything yet. <laughs> So I'm like, all right. I'm like, I think I pissed him off. <laughs> Got downstairs. He goes, don't say anything yet. I said, all right. We get out into the garage. He looks at me and he goes, that was the greatest answer anybody's ever given to that question. <laughs> he goes, and for the first time, I'm saying to myself, holy shit, thank God we have a lawyer slash judge with us that gets this <laughs> as opposed to, I guess, some banana actor who just has no idea and is just like, well, here's the show I want. Right, right. I want me doing it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's crazy, man. It's been nuts. It's really been nuts. I hope everything works out. I think it seems like you're in a pretty good place. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? Mentally, you know, I'm, I'm in a good place. I did it right. I did everything right. It sounds like it. Yeah. I just wonder what the, the, the prosecution got out of this. I just, it's just so mind boggling to me what they yeah. feel they've accomplished. I, you know what? I don't know. And, and for me, I, I would hope here's my, you know, people say to me, what, what do you hope this whole thing did? I would hope that the administrative office of the courts after this decision, after seeing the reaction of the public. And when I went to inside edition, one of the reporters was there from 60 minutes very smart guy, FBI background, looked mm -hmm. at me and said, I can't figure this one out for the life of me. This is a really intelligent guy. I would hope the AOC would sit down, look at their cannons and say, all right, guys, listen, we're coming up on 2014. Let's take a look at these. Yeah. Some of these decisions, some of these opinions, some of these cannons probably need to be modified. I mean, one of the cases was a judge was seen in a television commercial for a cereal company sitting in a courtroom 
he got disciplined for being part of that commercial as an extra. What? You know, we need to look at some of these things and say, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Yeah. Let's, let's start to make change. And that's the part of me that is this idealistic. That's the, the smidge that's left of me, Dylan. That's idealistic. <laughs> it's, about, it's about a quarter of an inch as I hold my fingers apart. It's about a quarter of an inch. That's idealistic enough to believe that, you know, our government and bodies in our government would look and say, come on, man, we, we need to really make change for the right reasons. You know, as opposed to, you know what I really think is going on in our government. And I know I saw Russell Brand go off the other day in yeah. an interview and I thought, wow, thank God someone's saying this. And unfortunately, because it's coming out of the mouth of a comedian, no, people are going to look and say, this dude's just some crazy, you know, drug addict comedian who was just ranting. And man, was he on point. He and he usually is. I mean, eventually yeah. people are going to come around. The fact that the Colbert Report and The Daily Show is so popular. Right. Um, it's popular for a reason. The you know, and the more Russell Brand speaks out, and yes. he's, and he's done it before, people are going to start to realize that because comedians are in a position where they can be totally honest. Yes, and a lot of them are smarter than the average person walking real on the street. Real smart, real smart. Um, they might be a little crazy, but sometimes you need to be a little crazy. Listen, the one thing I say to people is all comedians, you know, they say, how do you come up with material? We're, we're all a little bit off. Sure. Depending on- You have know, to be. Yeah, depending on the material- <laughs> That will determine the percentage of off. That's right. I think there's That's a right. I think there's a minimum thirty percent off. Yes. That you have the fact to. that you go up on stage and talk to a room full of strangers. Yeah. That's not normal. No. So there's a baseline of 30% off to begin with. Okay. Then, sounds fair. Yeah. And then from there, the level of increase in off, I think, you know, really gets to how funny and talented and successful you are. But you're talking about some really intelligent people. Yeah. Louis CK is a really smart guy. Geraldo was a really smart guy. I think he was a Harvard grad. Went to law school. Yep, Harvard, and uh, he went to um, Columbia undergrad. Yeah, I mean, they're talking about a really smart guy. Yeah. You don't go through those schools unless you're really smart. These are really smart people in the business. Russell Brand is very smart. It's, you know, and we really are the last hope for First Amendment free speech. And I tell comics all the time, please don't take this job lightly Yeah, because we really are holding on to something. We're the holders of like the, the, this is the grail. We have the grail and we've got to protect this because our country is slipping into a place that's really dangerous. I watched the Emmys this year, you know, 2013 and they honored, um, Carol O'Connor and, um, Edith. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot her name. Drawing a blank. I can't believe it on her passing yeah. and they were talking about all in the family and, and Reiner was there, Gene Stapleton yes. and, and Reiner was there talking about all in the family and I, and everyone gave it a, a standing ovation. And I thought to myself, wow, look at this hypocritical shit going on right now that there's people in there from networks clapping for this, that if someone came in and tried to pitch all in the family today, they wouldn't get the first sentence finished. And the person from the network would say, we cannot put this on. Are you nuts? Some racist guy who calls people Polak and me and because the guy's Polish or the guy says, we can't put this on TV today. Are you nuts? And that is the, this is the thing that drives me fucking crazy in this business. 
because that's the disgrace that's become, you know, all in the family could be one of the greatest shows ever Absolutely. that we've ever had. You could never put it on TV today. No, that's why when people say to me, what are the best TV shows? What do you watch? I'm like, forget about what, what I watch shows that are necessary. South park yeah. is necessary to our country. And people say, come on, necessary to, yes, what Parker and Stone do are necessary to the fiber of this country because they attack everybody. The, our government should pay them to never <laughs> retire because they keep the First Amendment alive. I'm serious. Those are two of the most important people in the entertainment industry, period, because they attack everybody. Family Guy. These are shows we need on TV. Whether you're a fan of the show or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. These are the shows we need on TV because this is the protector of the First Amendment. Anything that crosses the line, I don't care if it's good or not good, needs to be on TV because we have to make sure the line stays as far out there as possible because it just keeps getting pushed back in. Yeah. So you know what? Keep crossing the line. Keep crossing that line and protect us because we're falling, man. We're falling and we're falling fast. So, you know, we, we really need that. And comics are essential to that. Yeah. What did I feel like it's a George Carlin quote where oh. he says something like, the comedian's job is to find the line and then purpose and then intentionally cross it. Yes, absolutely. I think that was him. And you know, and it's great that you bring up Carlin because a lot of people, and even comics, bash Carlin for the last, I guess, eight to ten years of what he was doing in stand-up, saying he became oh, so soapboxy, so preachy. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Listen, that it wasn't the funny Carlin that we remember, yeah. you know, pre-2000, yeah, I'll give you that. Carlin, in his late days, what he was doing was saying, everybody, wake up. And you know what? After you do 15 to 20 amazing HBO right. specials, you have carte blanche to yeah. say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> so to me, at that point, George can say whatever he wants. Yeah. But you have to hear what he was really saying. What he was really saying is, everybody, wake up. And you know what? Thank God he did that. Thank some of his most brilliant stuff comedically in terms of making you laugh. Is it in those last eight years? No, but some of the most profound things that anyone has said in any walk of life over the last eight years is in that stuff. Yeah. And, and we need that, you know, like I said, guys like him, you know, I bring up Louie again, CK is, you know, profound, man. There are some people out there saying some really profound stuff that are, that are pushing the envelope that you need so comedy is essential to this country. It really is. Can't be taken for granted. And people, if you're out there listening to this, go to a comedy club. You, there's, it's the best ticket to anything you could buy. A movie today is how much? I don't even know. It's almost 20 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's okay. in the city. It's, it's well, well over 10. Right. You can get a comedy club ticket during the course of a week. Some places, five bucks. Yeah. $10. You never know who's going to walk into that room on a Monday night. Carolyn's Judah Friedlander, Daryl Hammond. I know Rory Albany's from Daily Show is now running around doing spots because he's moving to LA. That's right. So you can get a mine like that yeah. for five bucks. Where else would you want to be? It's true. Where else would you want to be but a comedy club? Although you'd have to move to the New York City metropolitan area. Yeah, well, hey, listen. <laughs> it's the mecca of comedy. It's the mecca of comedy. It is. I agree. 
Well, Vince, thank you a lot. Thank you. Thanks a bunch for sitting down, welcoming me into your home. Very nice of you. And uh, we're going to see a lot from you, I think. Yeah. And I I promised you this interview. You did. Back when. And I promised you exclusive stuff. (laughs) So you you got it. (laughs) And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Vince. Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Vince August on the Laugh Spin podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please do mosey on over to itunes and leave a review there that helps us out a great deal if you haven't already subscribed do that as well on itunes or you could do that on stitcher or in soundcloud and tunein.com you could also find us at allthingscomedy.com which is the podcast network we are a very proud member of it was a network started by comedians al madrigal and bill burr we are very happy to be there you could go there and uh, it's not only the last one podcast obviously but a a great many other awesome comedy podcasts thank you so much for tuning in we really do appreciate it if you wanted to reach out to me for any reason please do so i'm at dylan at laughspin.com d-y-l-a-n at laughspin.com we'll see you next week thanks guys 